0: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I did that for two reasons. One, it's starting to look like Christmas. Two, I wanted you to be thankful that I don't lead worship. All right, so there you go. What a joy it is to worship with you today. Keaton, band, choir, thank you so much for leading us towards Jesus. Quick raise of hands. How many of you are like already done? Like Christmas, bring it on. Let's go. We're ready. Who's ready? All right. All right. All right, all right, rest of you are like, Amazon, here we come, right? Now, more important question, how many of you are wondering what you're going to do with all that milk and bread you purchased this weekend, right? Oh, yeah, Walmart was crazy last night, it was absolutely crazy. My name is Kyle, we are so glad that you are here, it's so fun to be in this Christmas season as we think about, focus on so many things, but most importantly, above everything else, we focus in on... Jesus. Uh, We're beginning this series called White Elephant Gifts. White Elephant Gifts. And I want to give you a working definition of White Elephant Gifts this morning that can maybe help you out. Maybe you don't really know what that is. I want to clue you in. I think it's going to come on the screen. Here's our definition. A White Elephant Gift. A gift that is useless. Do we have the definition? Maybe not. I'll just read it. All right. It's all good. A gift that is useless. There it is. Or troublesome. Especially one that is expensive to maintain or difficult to dispose of. Process that for just a moment. Have you ever gotten a white elephant gift at Christmas time? I mean, you didn't go to a white elephant gift party and you got a white elephant gift, right? You got that tie or that sweater, and you're like, I guess I've got to wear this around them at least one time. You know, like you don't feel like you can return it because you're afraid they'll be at the store at the same time and see you doing that. And whoa, you know, just kind of difficult to dispose of a white elephant gift. Something. you got that you really didn't want you really don't want to keep you don't want to wear you don't want to use Uh, maybe you could say white elephant gifts are funny but useless and it would seem at white elephant gift parties I don't know if you've ever noticed this there's kind of a common theme that runs through all of those white elephant gift parties it normally brings about things that are useful in the bathroom have you ever noticed that it always, it always happens. So maybe useful but embarrassing gifts. Maybe that's what they are. Someone in our AC group last year, we said we are going to do white elephant gifts, and somebody just very blatantly said, I just don't want toilet paper. Guess what they got at the white elephant gift party? I'm not joking. They got toilet paper. And the cool thing about that is is it was by a draw of numbers, traded out, and they got stuck with toilet paper. They got stuck with toilet paper. Plungers are involved. There's a man named Brian around here that if you want a really cool story, he might have it with him today. And that sounds really weird, but his wife's sitting next to him, and she's like, he might. So anyway, there was a plunger involved in one of these. Um, I I read about somebody getting a belly button lint brush. I'd say I don't know what you do with that, but I do know what you do with that, but that's just weird. Uh, Someone said they got a sequin monogrammed pillow with Nicolas Cage's face on it. Speaking of faces, there's a certain picture floating around certain circles within our church of white elephant gift uh, parties that keeps resurfacing at these parties year after years. I thought about putting it on screen, but I was kind of afraid maybe it wasn't appropriate for church and we would scare the children. Anyway, there's a guy sitting over here somewhere that's responsible for that. Today, the gift that we want to talk about that is just... Not useful in our lives. Unwanted, but some of us have it. And it's this gift of pessimism. Pessimism. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, people who are just negative. We could also cause them maybe Razorback fans. I don't know. Or, or are Razorbacks the eternal optimist, right? Because there's always next year, right? You hang in there year after year after year. But pessimism. Negative Nancy, if you will. Some of you right now just leaned over to your friend and said, I told you this was going to be a terrible sermon, right? You'll catch that one in a moment. Some of you are processing that. Pessimists say things like this, and there could be a really long list. So let me just give you a short one. It's never going to go right. It's never going to work out. It never goes my way. And the list of negativity just keeps coming. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you know somebody like that. Maybe, just maybe, if you don't know somebody like that, maybe you ought to examine your words, right? Maybe you're that one. But this gift of pessimism that just pesters us again and again and again. It's like the two buddies that hung out, the optimist and the other, a pessimist. The optimist asked his friend, Isn't this a bright, sunny, beautiful day? And the pessimist replied, Yes, but the heat, if the heat doesn't stop soon, all the grass will dry up. A couple days go by, and the optimist said to the pessimist, Isn't this rain wonderful? And the pessimist said, Yes, but if it keeps raining, my garden's going to wash away. The next day, the optimist invited his pessimistic friend to go duck hunting with him. The optimist wanted to show off his new registered hunting dog that could do things no other dog could do. The pessimist looked at his dog and declared, Looks like a mutt to me. Just then, a flock of ducks came over, and the optimist shot. Killed one, it fell in the middle of the lake, he snapped his finger. His new dog ran after the duck, running on top of the water all the way out and all the way back, brought the duck, dropped it right beside him, and the optimist said to the pessimist, hey, what do you think of my dog now? And the pessimist replied, dumb dog, can't even swim right. (laughs) Some people, you just can't make them happy, can you? You just can't please them, and sometimes that's me, and sometimes that's you. Sometimes that's us. Maybe not every day of your life you'd say, I'm a pessimist, but we all get in our moods, and we all get in our funk, maybe some of us more often than not. But this terrible, ugly gift of pessimism just comes over us sometimes. I think about Eeyore, you know that wonderful character on Pooh, who has some great lines. Um, He said things like, wish I could say yes... But I can't. His next one is, if it is a good morning, which I doubt. Most likely, lose it again anyway. This one is really, really good. Sure is a cheerful color. We'll say that again to make sure you heard me. Sure is a cheerful color. Guess I'll have to get used to it. And then this last one, just as plain as it can be, just as pessimistic as it can come, it's all for not Now, maybe you grew up hearing negativity. Maybe you grew up in a circle of people, maybe one of your parents and or both or people that you were around just spoke nothing but negative over you. And maybe right now this whole idea of being negative and being a pessimist brings back just really bad, painful memories for you. Saying things to you like you want to amount to much or you aren't very bright. And those are probably some of the nicer things maybe that were said. Our experiences many times determine how we view life and how we react to things, whether we are a positive person or whether we are a negative person. The people we grew up around definitely affect how we view life and our personality factors in too. Some things I want to give you, and you might want to write these down, they're not going to be on the screen, but just I think are really important, a couple of important things to know about pessimism. Pessimism is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Forbes did a study just a few years ago, and here's what Forbes magazine said about people failing at their jobs and getting fired or released. Here's the question that Forbes magazine uh, was answering. Why do so many people fail within the first 18 months of taking a job? Here's what they said. When our research tracked 20,000 new hires, 46% 46% of them failed within the first 18 months. But even more surprising than the failure rate was that when new hires failed, 89% of the time it was for attitude reasons, and only 11% of the time for lack of skill. The attitude deficits that doomed these failed hires included a lack of coachability, low levels of emotional intelligence, motivation, and temperament pessimism will cost you it's going to affect the people around you it's going to affect the people that you work with it's going to affect the people you do life with it's going to affect your home Um, another thing I'll quickly say about pessimism that's really important to remember is that pessimism is easily shared in other words it just kind of it just kind of goes quick to everybody around you it's like the jelly of the month club right it's the gift that keeps on discouraging all year long that's what it does People catch our attitudes just the way they catch colds, by hanging around us. Your attitude affects your children. Anybody don't have a whoa moment there as a parent? Like a lot of times my kids are doing things and I get really, really aggravated to them, not because, only because I don't like what they're doing, but they're acting just like me. Nobody else? Anybody? Yeah, all right. Maybe you're perfect around your kids and they just are perfect around you. That's not the way it is in my home. But our negative attitudes, they affect our children. They affect our spouse and our marriage and how we relate to one another and how we care for one another and how we love one another and how we get along with one another and whether we last together or not. Our attitudes definitely affect that. Again, our workplace, our friendships, it affects your church and it affects your health. There's a lot of studies done on how just pessimism and negativity can affect your health in a very negative way. In a very negative way. Well, I want us to look this morning to John chapter 11, and we're gonna look at three passages of Scripture, and they're gonna focus on one character in the Bible. Um, he's fairly well known amongst most circles. Whether you're a Christian or not, you've probably heard of this guy. Most people call him Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And so I want us to look back and see three different portions of his life where we see him being a doubter. And I think ultimately we're going to see him being a pessimist and we're going to see him being very, very negative and how all of that really played into his doubting. Okay? John chapter 11, beginning in verse number one. John chapter 11, beginning in verse one. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So, the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now pause for just a moment in case you don't know much about Jesus. Jesus is capable of doing anything. And I don't know about you, but if I've got a sick family member and I've got access to somebody who can do anything, I'm giving them a call. And so they gave their friend, Jesus, a call. Jesus could heal anybody of anything. Their brother is very sick, so they put out word. They sent the text, whatever they did. They got a scroll sent across there to say, Hey, Jesus, come here and check on my brother. He is very, very sick. Your dear friend is very sick. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, when Jesus said this, okay, listen to me. When Jesus said this, he wasn't around Mary and he wasn't around Martha. He was hanging around his closest followers, the 12, one of which was named Thomas. He heard Jesus say what we just read. Verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Mar- Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now you can interpret that however you want to. Uh, the disciples certainly did. Uh, they had their own interpretation of why Jesus wasn't in a hurry. You could say, well, he didn't care about his friend or uh, you know, wh- whatever you want to come up with. But he goes on to say that he waited for two days. Verse 7. Finally, he said to his disciples, two days later, let's go back to Judea. Now, verse 8. But his disciples objected. And they're going to tell you why. Rabbi, teacher, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going back there again? So there was a real problem and a real threat on Jesus' life just a few days earlier in this place of Judea where his friend Lazarus was. They left there. Now Jesus says they're going back. And the disciples are like, wait a minute, Jesus, is this a great idea? They tried to stone you. If we go back, they may stone you. And naturally, they're thinking about their own health and their own welfare, and they're thinking about themselves too. Verse 9. Jesus replied, There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. Verse 10. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. Now, how do you interpret what Jesus has said? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, so I will go wake him up. I'm a pretty literal person, so I'm thinking Lazarus is asleep, and Jesus is going to roll in and give him a good poke and say, wake up, Lazarus, and he's going to be okay. That's the way they interpret it too. Look at verse number 12. The disciple says, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. In other words, hey, Jesus, they're going to stone you if you go back, so if he's going to get better anyway, let's just tell Martha to wake him up. You don't have to go wake him up. Verse 13. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So this word, to be asleep, can also mean that he has died, and he makes it very clear to them in verse number 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Very clear, very plain, no question is he asleep or sick or what, he's dead. Verse 15, and for your sakes... I'm glad I wasn't there. What do you mean, I'm glad I wasn't there? I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him and make him better. For your sakes. He goes on to say, for now you will really believe. And if you underline in your Bible, I encourage you to underline that phrase right there. For now you will really believe. We're talking about people that have been following Jesus every day. And he speaks into their faith. And he's saying, I think that you need more faith. I think that you need to believe in me at a level that you never have believed in me before. I'm not saying you haven't believed in me, but I'm saying you need to continue to believe in me, and you're going to see something that's going to cause you to really believe. And then Jesus wraps it up by saying, come, let's go see him. Verse 16, Thomas nicknamed the twin. This is the guy we're talking about today. Thomas nicknamed the twin said to his fellow disciples, I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I've read this passage of Scripture a ton of times, and this is where I am settled that Thomas kind of sounded like when he said it. You know, when you get a text, you really can't hear emotion unless somebody uses what? An emoji. And my kids, I don't know what it is with emojis, but anyway, when they text me from their mom's phone, there's like 400 emojis. You know, I'm like... There were so many, I don't know what you meant, right? Well, no emojis here, but if you look at the life and the character and the characteristics of Thomas, I think that you will hear him say this next incredible, deep, what-does-he-mean phrase when he says, let's go to and die with Jesus. I read this most of my life thinking, man, Thomas is just all in. Let's go to and die with Jesus. But if you look at the life and the character of Thomas, he was constantly negative. He was constantly a pessimist. You hear the sarcasm in his voice when he says, well, let's go to and die with Jesus. He's just relented to the fact that what the worst thing that could possibly happen is going to happen. Know anybody like that? Maybe every now and then that's you, right? Maybe every now and then that's me. We just assume the worst. We're hanging out, if you're Thomas, with Jesus And he just assumes the worst is going to happen. Notice it says that he was the twin. Um, I can't find anything that helps me figure out who his twin was. So maybe today you're his twin. Maybe you are the twin of Thomas. Maybe every time you look at a situation, you assume the worst is going to happen. Look now, John chapter 14, verse number 1. Just a couple pages over, John chapter 14, verse 1. I have read John chapter 14 publicly probably as many times as I've read any other scripture publicly, and here's why. I've done a lot of funeral and or memorial services For people in my life. Somebody uh, not long ago who just didn't know me very well and kind of new to church and and everything, they were kind of like, hey, you ever done a funeral before? And I kind of laughed and I was trying not to be disrespectful because I thought, whoa, yeah. And they said, well, how many have you done? And I had to answer them, I honestly have no idea how many funerals I've done. No clue. Wouldn't even want to make up a number. I've done funerals for people that I've known really, really well. I spoke at my grandmother's funeral, which was one of the greatest honors of my life. Uh, I've, I've, I've stood up and spoken at funerals of people that I've never met before in my life. I've done it for f- friends of family members and, and all kinds of stuff, church members and people I've known for a very long time. And this is that passage that I go to most often in those times because it's a it's a passage of encouragement. It's a passage of hope. It's a passage of promise. And listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now he's speaking to a group of people who had every reason to worry and to fear and to doubt for the future. These guys have figured out, these followers of Jesus, including Thomas, have figured out that Jesus is about to die. That the whole stoning thing just a couple of chapters ago is now getting closer to, to reality and that Jesus is about to die. And so he speaks to them knowing that they're troubled. He speaks to you today knowing that you may be troubled. And Jesus speaks these incredible words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. The word faith, the word belief fits here. Have faith in God, trust in God, believe in God, and trust also, believe also, have faith also in me. You're worried? Okay, I'm gonna give you a word of hope, but you gotta believe me for it. You gotta trust me for it. You gotta place your faith in me for it. He goes on in verse two. And he says, "There's more than enough room in my Father's home." So Jesus takes us from the here and now to the future. He starts talking about eternity. He starts talking about where we're going to spend the next life. And he says, "There is more than enough room in my Father's home if this were not so. Would I've told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Question mark. Jesus is like, "Would I be wasting my breath on you? I'm the Messiah. I'm the one born of a virgin. I'm the one that's been promised. So what I'm telling you right now is true. I've got good plans for you. Verse 13, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. If you're a believer, this is a word of good news for you, is it not? That no matter what happens in this life, no matter how much longer we get to live or how short of a time that we get to live, Jesus is telling me, Jesus is telling you that because of our faith in him and what he did for us on the cross and his glorious resurrection, that we get to spend forever with him in Heaven, a perfect place, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more divided relationships, everything the way it ought to be. No more wars, no more rumor of wars, no more problems, no more suffering. Jesus says, this is what is for us. Believers, does that not give you hope? I mean, when this world is falling apart, for him to say, I'm making a new world, a new place, and it's all going to be with me forever. Verse 4, Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas, here's his response. No, we don't, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Now, forgive me for giving you what I think I hear in Thomas's voice. But as I've read this passage over and over and over again, I've realized that Thomas has sat with Jesus day after day after day. Do you think that Jesus didn't talk about his mission and his purpose for being here on earth over and over and over and over and over over again to these disciples? He had over and over again, and Thomas just... Had missed the words and the promises of Jesus. Failed to find himself after Jesus said, trust me, trust in God. Things are going to get the way they need to be. Thomas is clueless about what's going on. Mr. Negativity, Mr. Pessimistic, doubting Thomas, if you will. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So here we've got Thomas just consistently finding himself being pessimistic. Um, As you think back to chapter 11, him saying let's go with Jesus and die, you could talk about his commitment there because it was there. Someone uh, dubbed Thomas as the committed complainer. In other words, you might be married to somebody or they might be married to you And they're in it to win it for the marriage, but they're constantly complaining. In other words, they're committed, but they're a committed complainer. Maybe you work for somebody like that. Maybe somebody works for you that's like that. They are just constantly there. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to quit. They're not going to give up, but they are just negative all the time. And they're missing what is right in front of them. And as believers and as followers of Christ, sometimes we're missing the truth of Jesus standing right In front of us. And that's where he was. Pessimism and doubt will cloud your thinking and blind your eyes and cause you to miss Jesus. Notice how much it causes Thomas to miss Jesus in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 began in verse number 24. So just prior to verse 24 in the story, Jesus has appeared to his disciples But all of them weren't there. There was one missing. Guess who it was? Thomas. Why was Thomas not there? We really don't know. You could come up with all kinds of ideas as to why Thomas wasn't hanging out with the others. Maybe Thomas was so um, over it and done and negative and sure that this thing wasn't going to work out that he just went off and hid. We really don't know. But Jesus appears to his disciples. No Thomas. They get to experience The Jesus who had died on the cross didn't fall asleep but died. And then three days later came back from the dead. And now Jesus is going to his followers to interact with them and to show him that he is alive. This happens a week prior to what we're going to read about in verse 24. So a whole week passes between Jesus hanging out with his closest followers and then again hanging out with them in verse 24. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, there he is again, was not with the others when Jesus came. In that story we were just sharing. So they, the other followers of Jesus, told him, we have seen the Lord. These were guys that Thomas had hung out with every single day for over three years. These are guys that should have been able to earn the trust and the confidence of of Thomas. You've got friends like that, right? You've just been through thick, and you've been through thin. They're always there. They're always faithful. They're going to tell you the truth, even when it hurts, hopefully in love, right? Like, they're just truth tellers. They're just there for you. That's the kind of friends these were. They came back, and they told him, and they said, we have seen the Lord, but here's his response in verse 25. But he, Thomas, replied, I won't believe it. I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and placed my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And here's what Jesus says. Peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, he singled Thomas out. He's already interacted with all of them. Jesus knows everything about you. Jesus knows everything about me. If you are a negative person, it is no surprise to God for you to say to God, God, I'm a negative person. He's going to be like, I already knew that. I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. I hear you gripe and complain. I hear you walk in the other room and mutter under your breath. Nobody does that, right? I do. I do. So, so I'm preaching to me right now. You've got to get this. He's like, I know how you are, so I want to talk to you. I want to focus in on you. The point I want you to get as we continue to look at Thomas is Jesus is focused in on you this morning. He's honed in on you. And he wants to speak to you and he wants to speak into your life because he cares about you. There he was. Thomas was with them. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. And notice what he says. This is so huge. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Believe. Goes on, verse 28. This is an incredible declaration. It's incredible if anybody says it. But in this moment in time, for Thomas the doubter, if you will, Thomas, the one that is struggling with negativity and pessimism, struggling to believe his friends, struggling to believe Jesus. When Jesus spoke those words in John 14, here's what he exclaims, my Lord and my God. In other words, Thomas wasn't Jesus, I think you're real. Jesus, I think you're here. Jesus, yeah, I give you mental assent, which is where a lot of us are at today in our faith. He's like, no, you rule, you reign, you are here, and I believe in you with everything I've got. It was an incredible proclamation of worship and faith and belief that some of us need to do today. You're like, well, I've done that before. Well, maybe today a fresh and new in this situation in life that you're in this season. And I know you're going through a season right now. Some of you are. Some terrible, rough, hard stuff. And you're like, God, where are you? God, are you going to show up? God, are you good? God, do you care? God, are you going to reach down and touch me? Can I experience you? And you need to have a moment this morning and proclaim him fresh and new from the depths of your being, my Lord and my God. Look at verse 29. Then Jesus told him, you believe, and this is not a negative thing that Jesus is saying. It's just a factual thing. He's speaking to Thomas and he's speaking to us. Look what he says. You believe... Because you have seen me. He didn't say that's a bad thing. He said it just is what it is. Thomas, you had to see me. You had to touch me. You had to feel me. You had to interact with me for you to come to this place. But you believe in me now. That's good. But then he goes on to say, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who is he talking about? Us. I haven't, I haven't had the privilege of seeing Jesus in the flesh. I mean, how cool would it be if you walked in here this morning? Hey, guys, just want you to come here and touch my hand, touch my side. Would that be a game changer for you? I think so. And yet Jesus is saying, Thomas, you have faith and it's going to change your life. But I'm telling you, for those of you that are going to follow, and that's us, who choose to believe in Jesus, we are even blessed in a deeper way because of our faith. And today, for some of you, you can't see him, you can't touch him, but you desperately need to believe in him. And here's what I want you to give as we think about all these white elephant gifts, all these things that are funny, silly, useless, frustrating, things like pessimism that we're wrestling with in our life. I want you to know what Jesus came to give you. Jesus came to give you faith. He came to give you faith. That is what you and I desperately need in our lives. He wants us to trade the white elephant gift of pessimism. He wants us to get rid of it. He wants us to say, you know what, I don't want that anymore. Let's trade it for something better, and I'm going to give you faith because faith changes your life. Faith changes everything. And this is not merely a mind over matter thing. This is a Jesus over your mind thing. This is making Jesus as great as Jesus really is. And it changes our lives. A really cool thing in this story that is so important not to miss is how Jesus doesn't give up on Thomas. How many times did Thomas doubt Jesus? Well, at least three times, big time, in Scripture. And we're not, we don't have every story of every day, but at least three times it's written down that Thomas was like, Eh, I don't know. I don't know if you can do what you say you can do. I don't know if you're going to show up. I don't know if you are who you say you are. And yet Jesus does not give up on him. This is a life-changing moment we see in Thomas's life when he declares, my Lord and my God. Guess what Thomas ended up doing in his life? He ended up surrendering to the call of God on his life. He left the homeland. He left where everything he knew. He went to North Africa and eventually India, spreading what? The faith of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you make a trip to India today and you hang out with Christians, they will tell you the reason why they experience the gospel in India today is because of a guy named Thomas who had a life-changing, faith-filled moment with Jesus and he goes on sharing his faith. And just as pessimism can be shared quickly and it can rub off on everybody, faith can too. People of faith share their faith and it rubs off on other people, and it changes people's life. And just as pessimism can bring people crashing down, faith can take people up. And again, we're not talking about just better ideas that make things better. We're talking about Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Jesus, who died on the cross, came back from the dead, who can change everything when we place our faith in him. Let me tell you, tell you how intense Thomas's faith became. Okay? There's a lot of writings out there. I'll, I'll give you the one that comes out of a writing called Jesus Freaks, an incredible book that's written of stories of old about how some of these believers lost their lives. Thomas in India preaching the gospel, idolatry everywhere. He preached the gospel. People there heard the gospel. They heard about Jesus They heard about all of his miracles, they heard about his death, they heard about his resurrection, and people started to give their faith to Jesus and no longer believe in the idols, to the point that Thomas and the people took down the idol, the particular big one that they worshipped over there of the sun, and they destroyed it. Do you think the religious leaders of the day liked this thing going on? No! The priest of this false religion tracked down who's responsible for this, who's responsible for it, Thomas. What do they do with Thomas? Thomas. They torture him, and then they throw him into a fiery furnace. Do you remember a story in the Old Testament about a fiery furnace? Younger kids do. Some of you folks back there are like, I'm asleep. Is it time to eat yet? Aren't we doing lunch afterwards today? Man, this sermon really is long. All right, back to it. There's a story in the Old Testament about some guys getting thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, a story is told that Thomas was thrown into a fiery furnace, and he didn't burn up. He didn't burn up. The religious leaders became so angered at this that they took their javelins and their spears and they threw them in to kill him. And Thomas died there, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came at Christmas to bring a lot of things. One of the huge things he brought all of us was he came to bring us faith. I want to read just a few scriptures to let it soak in. Philippians chapter 2, turn there, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm just going to allow the scripture to speak in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. It says, is there any encouragement? Oh, that's the opposite of being negative, right? Encouragement. Anybody need any Encouragement. Go ahead and raise your hand. That's me. That's you. Every single person in this room needs encouragement. There's a lady walked in today, and she didn't even say hello to me. You could say that was rude. It wasn't rude because here's what she said. Here's what she said. Be encouraged. You think that didn't impact me this morning? That's what she said. Be encouraged. Whoa. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Be encouraged. Here's what it says. If there is any encouragement from belonging to Christ, question mark. Is there Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Church, is there? I'm going to ask that one more time. And if the same people answer and the same people don't answer, that's okay. But I'm going to ask it again. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Tell your neighbor one reason why you're encouraged in Jesus. Just one. Go for it. One reason. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I don't have to go to hell. I mean, I don't know. Give give, give, give him a reason, okay? All right. You didn't divorce me. How many people in the room like Jesus has saved your marriage? Come on. All right. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? The answer is yes. Any comfort from his love? Okay. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Yes, and we're experiencing that now. It happens every time we interact with another believer. It happens any time we worship together. It happens any time we sit down on a meal together today. We want good, godly, spirit-filled fellowship to happen across the street. It's going to be a great time. There's plenty of food. We want you to come. It's, it's catered, so come on over. Then make me truly happy, verse 2 says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Well, what are we supposed to agree about? Politics? <laughs> Woo! Every now and then somebody says, why don't you talk about politics more? I said, because I want to I focus on Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that we can fully agree on, right? That's the only thing we can fully agree on, politics. Woo! Thank you, politicians that seek Jesus and follow him in what you do. Thank you. And we're going to pray for you, and we're going to pray for the rest of them. But, like, that's not what brings us together. So many other things divide us. So we agree on fully Jesus. We love one another, work together with one mind, one purpose. What's our one mind and one purpose? To be the biggest church in town? Give me a break. Our one mind, our one purpose is to carry out the mission of Jesus, which is what? To make the death, burial, and resurrection of him known to anyone and everyone. Okay? Anyone and everyone. And by the way, if we really got on mission with that, I don't know if we'd be the biggest church in town, but we'd be a bigger church, and there'd be a lot of other churches that would be bigger too. You hear what I'm saying? If we really got on mission. Let's see. Where are we at? Verse 3. Uh-oh. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble or humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, verse 4 says, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Drop down now to verse number 14. If we haven't gotten personal yet, here we go. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Everybody say, ouch. Right? Man, I compl- sometimes I complain about the things I like doing. Much less the things I don't like doing. Verse 15. So that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Listen, it's talking about everything there when it talks about living holy lives. But notice what it's focusing it on, our attitude. I'm here to tell you there are a bunch of people today in our city who aren't following Jesus because believers have bad attitudes. Y'all were afraid to respond to that one, weren't you? It's true. It's true. It's true. I don't want anything to do with them. And it has to do with our attitude. Look now to Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse number 6. Have I lost y'all? Y'all still with me? What's the deal? Are you hungry? Did I go to? Come on. Anybody? I don't know. All right, Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Everybody say, oh me. Instead, pray about everything. Here's the antidote for worry. Shift all of that stuff you want to say to Jesus. I don't know how to pray. Take all of your worries and troubles that you normally dump on somebody else and dump them on Jesus. Get what you're doing. You are praying the way Jesus wants you to pray. Okay? <clears throat> tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Why are you going to tell God what you need? Because he's the one that can do something about it. Verse number seven, then you will experience God's peace. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Will you read that with me beginning at the word Fix, we know that word because we live in Arkansas. Fix, all right, here we go. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. It goes on to say, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Again, this is not a mind over matter thing. This is a Jesus over our minds. This is Jesus ruling over our lives. This is saying, God, you're in control, and since you're in control, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm not going to focus on the junk, which may mean you need to change television stations or websites that you focus on, and some of you are thinking I'm talking about like rated R or rated X kind of stuff. Absolutely get rid of that junk. But I'm talking about some of the sources that you're allowing to come in your life. Some of you right now, the best thing you could do, and I know this is going to really weird you out, the best thing you could do is quit watching news channels. Some of you are all just, you just stay worked up all the time. Most of what they're telling you isn't true anyway. And what did Jesus tell us to do? To focus in on what is true. Guess who's in charge of America? Thank you. Somebody shouted it back there. It's Jesus. Thank goodness it didn't the other folks. Amen. Come on now. It don't matter what side of the aisle you're on. We better have Jesus in charge. And whether he's being allowed to be in charge by them personally or not, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is bigger than they are, and he's sovereign. He's in control. He's in control. All right? Some of you need to watch how you're using social media, interacting with people. Um, I don't know where I was. All right. Um, Again, Jesus came to bring you faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm almost done. Y'all hang in there for just another minute? Yep. Hey, you're not back there with a hundred and something kids right now, so just chill, right? Just chill, all right? Just chill. That's the people I worry about. Ephesians chapter 2, when you pick them up today, tell them thank you very, very much, all right? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and God saved you by his grace when you what? When you what? Believe. Believe. This is that word faith. This is that word Trust. It goes on to say about our salvation. It says you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. There's a lot of argument out there as to whether the grace is the gift or the faith is the gift. And I will tell you they are both the gift. God has given you grace and he has given you faith. Well, how did he give me faith? He gave you life. He's given you everything you've got. And today, Jesus wants to give you faith to overcome your pessimism and your negativity. He wants to change your focus from spending eternity away from him in hell to eternity in heaven with him. He wants you to focus on helping other people experience the same salvation. He gives us that opportunity through faith. One question, that I want to give you an action step. One question for you. How's your attitude? For some of you, the whole time I've been talking, you're, you've been at work. For some of you, the whole time I've been talking, you've been at home. For some of you, it's how you interact with your spouse that you've really been thinking about and you're nervous about, and you're like, "Ooh, I wish we weren't talking about this right now." For some of you, you're at home and you're thinking about how you interact with your kids. Kids are challenging. Spouses are challenging. Some of you, you've been at the workplace, right? You're thinking about your boss who's a knucklehead and you can't get along with. And da 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 da. Some of you are thinking about the people that work under you and they're all knuckleheads. And da 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 da. Right? Some of you are thinking about church while I've been talking about this, and you all don't like this, and I don't like that. Can I say this very, very respectfully? Very respectfully. I love each and every person in this room. I do, and I love some people who aren't in this room right now. There are some things about this church I don't like either. Did I just blow your mind? (laughs) But guess what? I keep leaning in because I believe at the end of the day, every single one of us make Jesus greater than all that stuff. And God's doing great things because we just keep making Jesus bigger than all that stuff. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Let me give you some actions towards changing your attitude. It's going to be a, a kind of a thing you're going to be able to put in your notes there. Um, I kind of recrafted this. John Maxwell came up with it. He's an awesome follower of Jesus, he's also a leadership guru guy, and I'll tell you the part that I changed. All right, here we go. Actions towards changing your attitude. Here they are. I think it's going to come on the screen. There they are. Say the right words. Fill it in. Say the right words. Hmm, that's a challenge. Read the right books. Listen to the right voices. This is the one I changed because he put the word tapes here, and you don't even know what those are anymore, so... Right voices, like who you're listening to, like what news channels are you listening to, what voices on social media are you listening to, who are the people that are speaking your life. Listen to the right voices. Be with the right people. Some of you need to shift who you're hanging out with. Some of you need to say, quit talking so negative all the time, or I'm not going to be able to hang out with you. Do the right things. And pray the right prayer. Now, I will quickly say the one on the bottom is the most important, but all these are so good. Say the right words. Read the right books. Listen to the right voices. Be with the right people. Do the right things and pray the right prayer. What's the prayer? The prayer is a prayer of faith. God, I believe that you're in charge today. (laughs) God, I trust you today. God, I believe in you today. God, you're my Lord today. God, everything may be falling apart right now, but I believe in you. I believe that you've got a good plan even though everything is going bad and everything is going wrong. God, I believe in you today. God, I've got a bunch of worry and I'm going to turn it into prayer. Here's all the stuff I'm frustrated about aggravated about, worried about. I'm dumping it on you because you can make a difference. All I'm going to do if I dump that on somebody else is bring them down. I don't want to be a negative person. I don't want to be a worry-filled person. I want to be a faith-filled person, so I'm taking all of it and I'm shoving it towards you because you can do something about it. And whatever you choose to do is going to be best. God, even if it's not to do anything for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, I'm not going to quit because I know you came up from the grave and that you are in charge. You are in charge. Yeah, you can celebrate that if you want to, because that's who he is. That's who he is. Just a moment. We're going to pray. Our band's going to get ready to come forward. They're going to start moving now, and they're going to play a song. And we're going to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus this morning. And maybe you need to take your white elephant gift, and you need to say, you know what? I'm going to exchange this. I don't want it anymore. Uh, For whatever reason you have it, maybe it's the environment you grew up in. Maybe it's just the mentality you have. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to trade this for faith today. We want you to make that trade. It's also going to be an opportunity for you to give. Our ushers are going to come in just a few moments, and you're going to have an opportunity just to worship God. When you give, guess what you're expressing? Your faith. God, I believe that you provide for me. Uh, The reason why today we're going to be able to go over and have a catered meal that's not going to cost you anything is because of the generosity that we have. We're able to do that through our budget. It's the reason why you're going to be able to give again today, if you want, uh, to the Compassion Center in Little Rock to serve those that are in need there. Every single dollar that you give across the street. Every single dollar is going to go to be a blessing to those that are in need this Christmas season. That's just a fun thing we get to do because of the generosity of the, so many, the many of you guys. And so we praise God for you. If it's your first time here, please drop in that communication card. We want to connect with you. We want you to come back. We want you to experience what we have in Jesus. And you can do that today by faith. Let's pray.